All right, today's scripture is Acts chapter 12, the entire chapter. It's on page 518, if you have one of these from the back table. And as always, if you need a Bible at home, feel free to take one of these from the back table. Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval of the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared with a light and shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. And then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the door. I'm sorry, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter, is that the door? You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be a danger. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and then described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Plastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne, delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. So I just finished up my last two weeks of doctorate of ministry programs in October, like the, the classes as well as my thesis project to work on. But during this session we talked about preaching, and that was good, it was kind of good to be challenged. And one of the assignments, we had to take a sermon that we had preached and preach it again in a different form. So, you know, instead of maybe doing your three-point sermon, tell a story, or wait to give the, the point at the end. But three of my classmates tried something known as first person narrative sermons. Does anyone know what a first person narrative sermon is? My wife does because she went to seminary. 
So first person narrative sermon is when you preach as if you're one of the characters in the Bible. Now none of them came out like dressed like Joseph. Like you can kind of like, if you want to go all out, you can like have a staff and wear a cloak. That's not something that I would ever do, uh, but some people do it. But our, 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 our professor challenged us to really try to Try to try things differently. And so, today, at Cornerstone Congregational Church, for the first time, we're going to have a first-person narrative sermon. So I will be preaching from the point of view of a character in the Bible. Okay. And I didn't run this by the elders, so no. <laughs> so I'm going to pray for us. When I come back, I am going to be just some, someone completely different than who I am right now. Are you excited? I'm excited. I don't know what's going to happen because I'm not going to be here. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you tell us your word is living and active. I pray that your word would come alive today and be active in our hearts and in our minds in a way that maybe it isn't normally active. I pray that you would help me do this. In Jesus' name, amen. I have no idea what this is, and this, well, this thing on my face, we're a very strange culture. I've never been to a culture that wore so many masks on their faces. Now, my name is Cephas in Aramaic, but you look like Greek speakers, so you can call me Peter. Now, I am a disciple. Disciple of my rabbi, Jesus. I have no idea how I got here. My friend Philip, like he was ministering to this Ethiopian eunuch once. He was just taken by the Holy Spirit to an entirely different location. So that could have been how I got here today. Led by the Holy Spirit. If there's anything I know about the Holy Spirit, it's that the Holy Spirit loves for me to talk about Jesus. And my story. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit brought me here, wants me to tell you about my rabbi, Jesus, the one I love so much. I'm going to tell you about that time, I think, that uh, an angel broke me out of prison. So that's always a good story. People love a good prison break story. The angel got me out of prison and actually struck down the king. In this story, I think the Lord used it in my life to, tell, to, to kind of help me understand that there is no king but Jesus. I don't know if you have a king in your culture or maybe a, a Caesar. I think this is a, a message we can all hear. No king but Jesus. Sometimes it seems like earthly kings are like the ones who are large and in charge. King Herod, my my kind of king of my culture, well, he thought he was in charge. Ah, uh, Herod Agrippa I. A long line of Herods he comes from. And, and these Herods, they like, they just have it out for the Jewish people. They just seem to be trying to like prove how in charge they are, how large and in charge they are. The Herod Agrippa's grandfather, it was not pleasant living under him. He actually tried to kill my rabbi when he was just an infant. Kill a whole town full of little boys. This, 
incredible tragedy that was so much wailing and weeping. And my uncle, uh, well, not my uncle, but Herod Agrippa's uncle, uh, Herod Antipas, he's famous for beheading John the Baptist. So don't name your kids Herod. <laughs> That's the point, right? Herod Agrippa, he, he felt like he had to live up to the family name of the Herods. So he took my partner, my friend, my brother, James, and had him killed. I love James. James and I, we owned a, a fishing partnership together with James uh, and his brother John. I like to call them the Zebedee boys. We loved the Sea of Galilee. We would sail on the Sea of Galilee, go fishing, and make money. The Sea of Galilee is beautiful. It's like this, this blue. It's, it, it, maybe it's technically a lake, but it's, it's just it's blue, beautiful blue, green. There are lush trees around the, the water. And there's these like very dusty brown hills right above the sea. And wind comes like rushing and gusting down the sides of the hills and can stir up the water very quickly. And so, like, there's nothing like being a fisherman. James and I had a lot of adventures on the Sea of Galilee. And so I'm, I'm pretty upset, King Herod. King Herod took him and struck him down the early years of his life. James was a disciple of Jesus. James just got through like these three years of following and knowing Jesus Christ and seeing my rabbi uh, raise him from, uh, uh, be risen from the dead, and then Herod comes along and kills him. Right at the start of what could have been a, a, a powerful life, a powerful ministry. And if I didn't believe in my rabbi, that my rabbi is really the king, I would have a lot of doubt. I would not know what God was doing. And I don't really know what God is doing, but I trust that God is good and that my rabbi, Jesus, is good. When things don't make sense in your life, it's good to remember who's really in charge, who's really king, even when bad things happen. You ever had something bad like that happen? Something terrible that's completely out of your control? Maybe you've just wrestled with doubt and the led you places you didn't want to go. But I wrestled with doubt once. I tried walking on water. Have you ever done that? It's not easy. My rabbi helped me do it. I, when I was focusing on my rabbi Jesus, when I was looking at him, then I was like on that water. This, this was a miracle, folks. This was a miracle. But then I started to like look at the waves, kind of everything around me, and I began to sink. And I cried out, and my rabbi rescued me. So I try not to look at the waves so much anymore. I try to look at my rabbi. It's how I try to live my life and try to remember that he's king, he's the one who's in charge. No king but rabbi, Jesus. Now when Herod killed my brother James, not my biological brother, but his brother in Jesus, he saw that it made the Jewish authorities really happy. He, and and, and uh, Herod really cared about what the, the Jewish authorities thought. He even tried to become sort of Jewish in order to win their favor, and he lived like it. 
Well, he figured out, you know, if I kill James and that made them happy, why don't I grab Peter and, and kill him and that'll make them happy too. So, Herod threw me in jail. Now, he, he kind of did this like, came in and he grabbed me, threw me in prison right during this festival, this feast, this seven-day feast called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. I don't know if that sounds good to you, but that sounds amazing to me because I love food. And it's all it's such a great feast. There's lots of flatbread that's unleavened, so it's flat. There's fresh fish, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables. And who really wants leaven anyways? It just like makes you a little bloaty. I love this feast, and I was like right in the middle of eating my fish. Soldiers came in and got me, and the real crime was not finishing my fish. They threw me in prison. Herod Agrippa assigned 16 guards to me. 16 guards to Peter, a fisherman. He thinks that I'm like a security threat or something. I mean, I have broken out of prison before due to an angel. But that, like, that was a God thing. That wasn't a Peter thing. That wasn't a me thing. You know, Jesus, my rabbi, he's the one in charge. No king but Jesus. There's no power that anyone has unless my rabbi gives it to them. And so if I'm going to go and stay in that prison, that's where I'm going to be. That's where my rabbi wants me to be. But if he doesn't want me to be there, 16 soldiers aren't going to keep me there. So Herod threw me in prison. But I have a secret weapon. Prayer. I prayed. My people prayed. The church prayed. They prayed earnestly. It wasn't like little prayer. It was big prayer. Everyone got together as a church and prayed. You ever done that and like prayed for one specific need? Like if someone's sick and you get together as a whole church and you just pray for that person? You've never done that. Just try it. So they did for me. My people got together and they prayed for me in prison. God, he answered their request. See, there's no king but Jesus, but there's also no prayer too big. No prayer too big. See, I was in prison. There were these guards. You know, there wasn't 16 guards all at once. There were sets of four, so they were rotating. And I fell asleep in my cell, chained to two guards, one on my left and one on my right. You might be wondering, how was I able to sleep <laughs> chained to two guards? But that would be very uncomfortable. And the place smelled really bad. Like it was your, your, your prison cell. That's where you went to the bathroom. You're sitting on stone. This was not comfortable. I'll tell you the secret of my sleep. Two ingredients. One, gifting. Gifted in sleep. And two, faith. Maybe you have someone like this in your own life who's gifted with sleep. But... I'm someone who can fall asleep during anything. So one time, my rabbi took me up on this mountaintop with James and John, and I fell asleep, and then apparently like Moses and Elijah showed up, and there was this like cloud and this great white light for a while. I mean, I did wake up after a while. Another time, my rabbi needed me, and I fell asleep too. It was the night before he was crucified. Sleep's a gifting, but sometimes 
I can misuse it. I should have been praying. I should have been praying for my rabbi that night, and I was not. Do you believe in prayer? Or do you believe in sleep? Do you believe there's no prayer too big for God? It's taken me time to learn there's no prayer too big for God. There's no prayer too big for Rabbi Jesus. And that's why there's no prayer too big, because there's no prayer, there's no king but Jesus. I can sleep because I'm gifted in sleep, but also because of faith. See, I had faith. I, tr I trusted my rabbi. I was sleeping the night before I was to be executed because of I believed. I believed in my rabbi. My rabbi was executed on a cross, and then he rose again. Like he, he came back to life. That's really incredible. That's never happened before. <laughs> that's, a, that's like a, a very special event. And I had betrayed him by, by sleeping and then denying him, and running away and then denying him three times the, the night he was, the, the time he was crucified. And he appeared to me, actually, after his resurrection, and he forgave me for denying him. And when he forgave me for denying him, he told me something. Like first he said, you know, feed my sheep, like go out and share the gospel, share, share the good news about me. But he said, when you're old, uh, that's when you'll die. He said that uh, uh, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Key words, when you're old, I'm not old. <laughs> I'm not going to die. I just believed in Jesus, my rabbi, and his promises. But even if my rabbi Jesus hadn't told me when I was going to die, when I was old, I think I still would have trusted him. Because he rose from the grave. So even if they kill me, like I'm, I'm going to be okay. So no king but Jesus, and no prayer too big, it's worth trusting him. If he had wanted me to die, I would have died. How, would, how do you feel about death? Like if, you, if you walked out of here and got trampled by a camel, where would you go? Would you go to be with Rabbi Jesus, or do you go to Sheol, the place of the dead? I want to be with Rabbi Jesus, and I know I will. He gave me this message where he said, for me, like he sent me out and he powered me with the Holy Spirit. So I want to tell you today that you need to repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you done that? Have you repented of your sins and believed and gotten baptized as a, as a testimony that you believe in my rabbi? That's how you receive forgiveness. That's how you receive eternal life. My rabbi will save you. So back to the cell. I'm sitting in that cell. I'm chained to one guard on my right and one guard on my left. I'm sleeping. It's such good sleep. Apparently there's this bright light in my cell, it does not wake me up. And an angel had appeared and actually had to kind of like elbow me, nudge me pretty hard. And the angel told me to get up and get dressed, which was very convenient. It was a thoughtful angel. God cares about our needs. And I didn't realize what was happening at the time. I thought that this was a... A vision. You know, I've had visions before of animals coming down in like this park and unclean animals. I just thought it was like that. But 
This was really happening. So this angel opened, like, my chains fell off, which was great. They were really rubbing my wrists. He opened the door, and I, I was like, the door was, like, creaking open. I thought for sure my guards would wake. I walked out the door. I walked past the sentry who was standing there, fully awake, did not see me, waving in front of his face. I walked down the hall and then out the front door past another sentry, four guards I escaped from, all because of this angel was leading me out. It was so good to see the night sky, see the stars, to breathe in the fresh air. We went through this big, heavy iron gate and it made so much noise when it creaked open that I thought for sure, like the whole neighborhood was going to be woken up. But no, nothing happened. We walked out into the street and then the angel disappeared and I was like, whoa, I am still here. And I realized this was not a vision. This was God. This was an angel delivering me by God's command. And I realized that God didn't want me to die. God wanted me to God wanted to rescue me from the hand of Herod, the hand of the, the Jewish people that were trying to kill me. So I got out of there. <laughs> like, I believe in God. I believe in my rabbi, but I'm not going to test him. And so I went to John Mark's mom's house. He's not a Zebedee, different, different John. And uh, I was so excited. It was so good to get out of there. When I, my rabbi was teaching me, no king but him. No prayer too big. There's nothing God can't do. There's nothing God can't do. See, he had just sent an angel to deliver me from prison. I was stoked. I was excited. I was going to tell the others. And <clears throat> they were inside praying at, at the house. We always gather there to pray. We always pray. It's so important to pray as a church family. And then I knocked, and a, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. Precious Rhoda. She is easily excited. When she heard my voice, she didn't open the door. She didn't open the gate. Instead, she ran in and told everyone that I was outside. <clears throat> Later, they told me that they were like, what? Are you out of your mind? Must be an angel. Now, if I thought there was an angel standing at the gate, I would have gone out to see the angel. Apparently not Rhoda and crew. So I kept knocking, and finally they opened the door. They were ecstatic. They could hardly believe that the Lord had delivered me. The Lord cared about little Peter enough to bring me out of prison. I mean, I am an apostle. You know, but, uh, they were shocked. They didn't really believe. So it's interesting how they were, like, praying for God to deliver me, but they didn't really believe God would deliver me. They didn't really think God would do something. You ever done that where you prayed? You didn't really have any faith. No, I've done that. I've done that. It's, it needs to be a challenge to me and to us to pray with real faith. That God can do something. No prayer too big. There's nothing God can't do. I told my church family to hush. Did not want those guards to come running. And uh, I told them that the angel had broken me out. And I got out of there. They don't want to test God. There's nothing God can't do. Do you believe that? If you believe in Rabbi Jesus, you must believe that he can raise the dead. He can do anything. 
I do. I really do. Maybe you don't know Rabbi Jesus. Maybe this story is the first time you've heard about him. Oh, he, man, who's God? Came and he, he lived in my, my region, Galilee, where I lived and, and grew up. I heard about him because he was doing these miracles and doing these acts that just were astounding. I began to follow him and to, to listen to his teachings. And over the course of time, it became clear to me that this was not just a man. It was God. Now, over time, I mean over a long time. I kept following him, and finally, when he rose from the grave, I began to get it. My rabbi rose from the grave. You believe that? So remember Herod in our story? Well, my story, our story doesn't end here because no king but Jesus. So my my story started with King Herod, Herod Agrippa the first, taking the life of James. But it ends with the Lord, with my rabbi Jesus taking Herod's life. Herod thought he was a big man. But Rabbi Jesus knocked him down all the way down. See, Herod tried to be Jewish, but I think he got tired of it because he left Jerusalem. He went moved to Caesarea, which is like the Greek capital of Judea. And it's no surprise, but he got into an argument with some northern cities, and he strong-armed them successfully. He threatened their food supply. And then he had a celebration. He had a dress-up party. He put on his royal robes. Which what these royal robes are covered with like these silver fragments. I can kind of describe them as like silver feathers almost. He kind of looked like a big silver chicken. <laughs> I thought he looked kind of silly. But other people, when they saw him, like he walked into this stadium in the morning and the sun was like glinting off of it. And he was like shining and there was lights going everywhere. It was amazing to them. I thought he was a chicken. <laughs> and the people were like, this is God. This is not the voice of a man, but this is the voice of God. And I was like, uh-oh. Well, I heard about it. I wasn't there. And Herod loved it. Herod loved it. He lapped it up. See, people were finally telling him how big and important he was. When we're just kind of dwelling in our sin, that's what we want to hear, isn't it? But he lapped it up and he accepted their, accepted their praise that he was God and God struck him down. A worm ate his insides and he died a horrible, painful death. I wish he had repented. I hope you repent while you have time. You ever acted like a God? Maybe you believe you're God. You're not. You're going to die. What's going to happen when you die? Will you go to be with Rabbi Jesus or will you go to Sheol where the worm never dies? The thing is that Rabbi Jesus is good. He's so good. He stuck with me. He forgave me for, for forsaking him, for refusing him, for denying him and running away. He can forgive you for your sin no matter what your sin is. No matter what you've done, there's no sin too big. There's no king but Rabbi Jesus. 
So the question is, will you come to him? Will you come to the rabbi? Will you confess your sins and be forgiven? That's all we can do. Just be forgiven and follow him. Be like me. Be a disciple. Be someone who follows the, his life and his teachings and just does what he asks day by day. Maybe you're like I was. See, I was chained. I was in captivity. And maybe you're in spiritual captivity. You're chained to your sins. You're chained to your addictions. You're chained to doing life your way. Well, God can deliver you. God can deliver you just like he delivered me from my physical captivity. He can deliver you from your spiritual captivity. Maybe there's some physical captivity that you're bound to as well. God can deliver you from that. I've seen him do amazing things through my rabbi, Jesus. You know, when I escaped, when the angel led me out of there, Herod Agrippa was, was pretty upset. He executed my guards. Uh, I wish he hadn't done that, but he did. That's the rule for Roman soldiers. If you let a captive go, your life is forfeit. I don't know why my rabbi allowed for these men to die in my place so that I could go free. But it reminds me of how he died in my place so that I could go free. That's what he's done for you. He's died in your place so that you can be set free from your captivity to sin and death. My rabbi died a terrible death. Nailed to a cross. He died for me so that I could be forgiven. So that I could be living my life and, and sharing about him, his life, and his death, and his resurrection. And if you're missing this message, you're missing life, you're missing eternal life, don't miss it. He died for my sins to give me life, and I get to now enjoy the stars and freedom for all eternity. And you do too if you trust in him. Rabbi Jesus did not stay dead, he rose again. And if you believe in him, you'll rise again one day too. And you'll recognize, and you'll see with your own eyes, that there is no king but Jesus. There's no king but Jesus. So will you come to my rabbi? Will you say yes to him? It's been wonderful getting to meet you. It's time for me to go. I'm sure we'll talk further when you die. I look forward to that day. May Rabbi Jesus bless you. Your pastor will pray now. Heavenly Father, thank you for Peter. Thank you for his life. Thank you for this amazing work that you did, breaking him out of prison showing that there is no king but Rabbi Jesus. Would he be praised, he be glorified. Thank you for Jesus dying in my place so that I could go free. Would you sink that down deep into our hearts too? Rabbi Jesus' name.